Welcome to The Conversation, a podcast about technology, instructional design, and the learning sciences. This is going to be the last episode of the season. And for the finale, I'm talking to two professors in Japan right now. Their semesters are just starting and hearing about their pedagogical approaches to remote teaching and learning. But before we start, could you introduce yourself first? You go first because it's alphabetical and all that. Alphabetical. James is before Jonathan, right? Dehan, if we're thinking of academic papers. <laughs> so my name is Jonathan Dehan. I am an associate professor at the University of Shizuoka in Japan. I am from America, grew up in Canada, and I've been in Japan for about 15 years. And I have a PhD in educational communication and technology from New York University, uh, which is relevant just for you know the distance education and, and how technology fits into education. And uh, I love the pedagogical pan- the pedagogy panda on Twitter. That's my favorite new uh, Twitter account. So pedagogy is important. Teaching is important. Tech doesn't matter. Well, yes, it does. So there you go. Uh, I'm James York. Uh, I have also been in Japan for 15 years this year. Originally from the UK, I co-edit LLP, which is Ludic Language Pedagogy, um, uh, a journal which is publishing work on the intersection of games and play in language and literacy teaching contexts um, with Jonathan here. The way that me and Jonathan met was I got my university job around 10 years ago and was looking for a a research agenda, essentially. And through my experiences of learning Japanese with um, games like World of Warcraft and things like this, I decided that I wanted to look at games and language teaching, language learning, and of the papers that I found and of the people that were in Japan, uh, Jonathan's name came up as one of the most prominent people. So I reached out and we haven't looked back since. Before we start, I think it might help to compare the different timelines, because I know that um, in Japan, you follow a different academic calendar. We, uh, at least in my university, we follow a semester system. So we start around late January, and we go until mid to late May. Now, the United States was impacted by the COVID-19 virus later than the rest of the world. And so like many universities, we didn't pivot to the remote teaching till around mid-March, uh, which was spring break for us. So we had that week to develop, but it was still very abrupt. So I was curious about what was it like in Japan and what are you doing now? What does your academic calendar look like? In Japan, the academic year actually starts in April. Um, so we, as a university teacher, um, February and March are basically void of classes. I don't have any classes in those months. Me personally, I finish um, in January and then I have two months as you know preparation and research months. So for me, typically February and March, I'm not affected. I don't have to go to school. Um, I'm just at home. Then we're supposed to head back in April, but this year my classes were delayed until May the 7th. Now, the reason for this is um, because there is something called Golden Week in Japan, which happens at the start of May, well, at the end of April, start of May, where there are some national holidays which come together like in a block. So everybody in the country basically gets between five and seven days off around, around that anyway, for this Golden Week. So from the university perspective, instead of starting classes in April as normal, and then having, so for example, having students from all over the country come to one place for a month, then go back to their home, uh, their homes for the golden week to then come back to the university afterwards was just a nightmare waiting to happen. And I think that the university's twigged onto this. And so instead of having students come, then go back, then come again, they just said, okay, let's cancel the first month and come back to class, uh, come to university after golden week at the start of May. 
See, that's interesting, though, because like, I think your university was more fast acting in, in terms of making mm-hmm. a decision to, keep, to postpone things. We didn't know what was going on until the beginning of April. And then we actually started like the third week of April and things just moved online. Like they made a decision what, not to What do you mean by didn't know what was going on? Like as a uh, teacher? As a teacher, as a teacher, we didn't know what was going on. Like there were rumors that some schools were postponing or going online or not gonna be meeting in the first semester. Like there were a lot of rumors flying around as they do around here, right? And we yeah. didn't have any sort of clear decision i think your university made a decision quicker than ours but then when we made the decision we immediately just moved online and we started pretty much at the same at the the same time that things usually do so you started earlier than me Mm -hmm. but but just online yeah i see just online exactly which of course we weren't prepared for it (laughs) and are you both teaching online now yeah yes so there was obviously some discussion during April about what the the structure of teaching would be when we started in May. And personally, uh, during my kind of break, if you like, in March, I was pretty confident that this semester would be online only. So I was proactive and actually got a lot of materials ready during March. And then April came around and we had some uh, meetings and people were, you know, were starting to struggle using Zoom for the first time um, for, you know, departmental meetings like, oh, you know, what are we going to do? Should, how should we grade students this semester? And essentially the teachers were given that month, like April, to prepare for teaching in May. Um, for the rest of the semester, is it going to be online? Has a decision been made on that? Yep, it's going to be online until the summer. So that will be a 12, 12 week semester, shorter semester, but uh, yeah, until the summer at least. Yeah, we're going the full 15 weeks until the beginning of August, all online. In Japan, is online learning popular? Or is it, do you, some universities have online classes already? So in, in the United States, it's, it's very mixed. Some, there are some institutions that are fully online or have programs that are fully online, and then there are mixes of them. Yeah, that's a great question. As, as a distance learner, I did both my MA and my PhD through distance learning at the University of Leicester in the UK, which has an incredibly rich and robust online system in place for not just language teaching, but for, for every kind of course. So yeah, I think that the UK is similar to the US in, the, in terms of its infrastructure regarding online and distance learning. Um, speaking of my own university, I think there's zero online courses, like I don't know any. Japan, I guess, in all things is sort of people joke that it's sort of like the Galapagos, right? So it means that Japan has sort of developed on its own. It's got these strange animals uh, in terms of tech infrastructure or uh, cultural customs. Um, Just with just, you know, like online banking is a weird animal and tech is a weird animal here and infrastructure is just unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And our university, like we have like, we have something called like universal passport, which is like a bespoke product that's put together by some tech company in Japan. And then they go around and sort of hawk it. Sorry, I'm gonna be really disparaging. They sort of hawk it (laughs) to different universities it's very administrative heavy, right? It's like, it gets people registered, it gets people, you know, like all the all the business stuff is taken care of, but it's got almost zero educational 
infrastructure like there there are caps on on how much how many files you can upload and it's and and they, they don't have sort of like a moodle level lms built in for like there, there are no like robust smooth ways to transfer teaching online like that just wasn't in place and so people have sort of been hacking things together um people have butted up against like the file restrictions of, like how many things they can they can upload because a lot of the classes here are still very much lecture based right and so you, you just imagine yeah. You imagine like, how does a teacher figure out how they've been teaching for 20 years in a sort of a lecture model, walk into class, like literally distributing, you know, like photocopied papers of lecture notes. And that's what they've done for 20 years. And now all of a sudden they're teaching online where, well, what do you do? Do you just upload all your lecture notes? Well, maybe there are file restrictions on how many lecture notes you can upload. And then like, wait, uh, how, how do I lecture to 100 students in a class? Do I do it synchronously? Do I up, like upload a private YouTube video? Teachers have never had to think about it. And now they're wrestling with all of that. Um, I and, and I had a lot of teachers coming to me at sort of the last, like the 11th hour saying, what do I do? Zoom is the buzzword. It's very much a tech solution, right? Like, how do I deliver what I've done? How do I reproduce what I've done? Like, and I think as you continue talking to James and I, like James especially has been like, wow, this is an opportunity. Like, this is a chance to rethink pedagogy. This is a like a chance to sort of use technology in a way that really helps me teach the way I really want to teach and really rethink like the tools that are available and think about how, you know, where students are, a lot of teachers have been sort of just porting, right? Like spooging, right? Like just sort of like figuring out like how to get what they do online with the least amount of, of, of changes, but then just doing things the way they always were, you know, that's, that is, that's fair, right, James? From what I've experienced, there's two two ways to go with it. And, and I'd, I'd say that what I'm doing, it would be a third way. The first is to just give up and go, okay, this is impossible. I'm just going to give them a worksheet and hopefully they've done it and not even bother grading it. It's like on demand, download this worksheet, um, where it would traditionally be a, a, a lecture or some kind of communicative English class, right? I think that's fair. It's just like, hey, like throw your hands up in the air. Yeah, I think that's yeah. that's definitely happening for sure. But it doesn't mean that they've actually tried, though, at the same time. Yep. Kind of annoying. The second one is the, um, the idea of this, this SAMR model, you know, the, the substitute, augment, modify, and um, redefine. So it's how, how are you using tech and, and how integrated is it? How is it changing what you actually do? So this model, I think that a lot of, a lot of teachers are stuck at the S level, which is like the low, um, the low tier level of tech integration, where they're essentially trying to, like Jonathan just mentioned, where they're trying to substitute what they were doing in the classroom, but trying to do that with a tech mediated or computer mediated environment so for example um i know that zoom has these things called breakout rooms so i know a teacher is trying to use that to push students together into those rooms and then get them to like do a little discussions just with varying um success because you know people disconnect some people don't have audio some people don't have video um you know just struggling with it in that kind of way and then the third way would be that i'm looking at is to say okay so what is actually possible in this space what is the potential of, of this tool for doing something different just like the idea of substitution like so uh we have like 90 minute classes right and i think james you have 75 minute classes or something like no, that no, right i have a hundred minute classes oh right right hundred so it's like a 90 minute class and professors will lecture for, for 90 minutes. And you absolutely like can walk around campus and you can see like lecture rooms full of 
you know, 100 students for, for 90 minutes. And in the back of the room, like students are just checking their cell phones or sleeping or doing homework in another yeah, class, yeah. like totally spacing out and not listening. Speaking of the substitution model, like I've talked to teachers who have put their lectures, like they've, they've sat in their offices and they've recorded themselves and they've uploaded their videos to like a private YouTube channel. And I talk to them later and they say, oh, like, did you know that there are like YouTube analytics? And I can see like how many students are watching my video. And I can see that students are like skipping to like minute five. And then they're checking out after like minute seven, <laughs> right? And so they've uploaded like a 90 minute video and students are just watching a couple minutes and that's it. And so they're like, it absolutely is substitution. Like they're, they're, they don't pay attention in real classes and they're not paying attention in online classes. And so the yeah, students yeah, are yeah. just doing workarounds, right? Of, oh, I'm just going to talk to my friends, right? Like one of my yeah. friends watched the video and took notes. And so we're just going to share notes and then we'll do the quiz together, whatever. Yeah. When it's that level of, of quote unquote teaching, right? Like just sort of content delivery. What do you expect? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and like James said, like, this is an opportunity to rethink, well, is, is lecturing the right thing I should be doing for this content or for this, for these students. Right. And a lot of teachers don't think about that anyways. Right. This is the, the classic professor problem, right? They're not thinking about how they teach or why they teach. Right. And anybody who's listening that really cares about teaching, like, please come join us on our journal. Like we, we care passionately about teaching. And all we want to do is talk about teaching, right? But we, we get really frustrated when we see a lot of people who don't, right? And then they're, maybe they're doing other things, but yeah, it just doesn't work, man. In the U.S., I think most, most uh, universities or colleges, they come with a, a learning management system that they've subscribed to. And everyone uh, or every class has its own instance of that class online, whether it's an in-person class or not, right? right? So um, at least we minimally have that. Um, but it sounds like you, your university, you don't have that learning management system. What Jonathan mentioned, actually, this, this universal passport, we, we actually have the same, Unipa, right, Jonathan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have the same thing installed. Um, essentially, for me, it's just to check who's registered to my class. It's not like a robust um, learning management system at all. That's right. That's it. But people, that's but that's the limit. Like it's this sort of admin tool that you can communicate with students. Like you can email a class, and and the students will get the notifications on their smartphones. And and if you can if they check it, if they've got notifications turned on, exactly. And so it's it's like me just walking out into the hall and just yelling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what we also have in place. My university has a subscription to, what's it called? Microsoft Teams. But um, I inquired about making a, a team for my classes and that wasn't possible apparently. So that was annoying. And why was that? Like, why wasn't that possible? Like you have a subscription, but you can't make it. That's great, man. That's awesome. Go, to, yeah, go us. <laughs> <laughs> so what I've been using, I mean, just personally, I've been using the Google suite for a long time now, the, the Google Docs, Google Spreadsheets, Google Forms. Um, so I'm using those to as collaborative, um, you know, doc, doc writing tools and stuff. Yeah. Well, like that, that's it. Like I use, I use the universal passport system to send out one message to all the students who registered to my class and gave them a link to a Google Doc, right? Like this, this is what we're using. I, I, and I wrote, if you're worried about privacy, I suggest making a, a, a sock puppet Gmail account, right? Come on, this document, everything is will be on this document. And that's all I did. And that was the start, right? Because I didn't want to upload files. And I, I just wanted to have a hub where they always knew that I could post news and post what they had to do in class and everything's organized by headings and, you know, step by step by step. So that's what, that's what I've done. That's how I onboarded students because we don't have a learning management system and students, a lot of them don't have 
PCs, right? They're all on their smartphones. And, yeah, that's a and good that's point. Another, that's yeah. another thing, right? Like we students don't have MacBook Airs. Like they don't have that kind of level of tech. They have smartphones that might be like two or three generations ago, some of them, and they've been dropped mm -hmm. 17 times. And yeah, that's a great so, point. Um, so when I was creating my own materials for this course, I had a single Google document with the whole syllabus on and all of the things that students needed to do to prepare for the class. So that was um, including links to certain um, systems that we're going to be using. And then I distributed the Google Doc and got them to, to, to go through that. And so one of the things about Google Google Documents, or I guess you could do it with the Microsoft Suite as well, but they're actually really easy to use on smartphones as well. They've been made yeah. really, really good for smartphones, like even Google Sheets, Google Slides, um, all of them the students can use on their well, smartphones. There's, there's is... some functionality that is a little bit goofy, right? Some of the yes. copying and pasting. You can't do drawings, tables. but... Yeah, yeah, stuff like that, right? But but like the basic... For the most part, yeah. Yeah, you can comment, you can type text, you can post a link, you can do that kind of stuff, right? So that, and that's, that, that's it. So I think that's important to, to mention to Aaron, right? Is that we're trying to take into account what, are, what tech our students have, who our students are, what their capabilities are, what their backgrounds are, and still trying to, you know, push them a little bit, right? In, 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 by using teaching, right? They're like actually teaching things to our students and, and mm, helping them mm, use the tech mm. to do interesting stuff. And, and, and James is doing rad stuff. You could talk for the next you know, eight hours. You absolutely could. Yeah, what are, what are some of these rad stuff? Yeah, James. Yeah, go James. I'm keeping, uh, I'm keeping some slight notes on Twitter if anyone's interested, but essentially I just couldn't see Zoom being useful. The problem with Zoom for me is it feels to me like Zoom is designed for businesses to talk to clients. So the, the host sets up the room, people come in, and it seems very kind of transactional, very stiff and top-down and hierarchical, if that makes sense. I don't know what, what your experiences with Zoom are. So for a 30-student class where I want students to talk to each other and you know have a back channel, and I just didn't feel that Zoom was going to be very useful. So I actually... I'm using something called Discord. Are you familiar with this, Aaron? Mm -hmm. Yep. So Discord is, it was designed as a tool to let gamers talk to each other via voice while they're playing games. But it has a very strong kind of IRC vibe. Like it has, you can make custom channels that are precursed with a hashtag. So you can create channels and lots of text chat and lots of emojis and just, you know, really fun little tools and stuff for, you know, modern conversation, I'd say, really. Um, so what I have done is set up a class Discord where when students join the Discord server, I assign them a role. And based on their role, they can only see certain channels because the channels can also have permissions. So students are assigned to classes. They can only see certain channels, which also means that if you're not in that class, you won't see messages, which means you won't get notifications on your phone for things that are not uh, conducive to your class. So yeah, I'm, I'm using Discord as my class hub where I'm maybe streaming, a, streaming my screen. And then I use text much more than I use their voices. Um, I... I am writing questions to them and using emoji reactions to, to gauge their interest, like polls and have you finished this, any questions, and then channels for different topics. So if, if they want to talk about games, if they want to talk about food, if they want to talk about anime, there's, there's you know, their own channels that they've decided and you know, topics go into different, different rooms. And it's, it's permanent. It's on all the time. Um, the problem with Zoom is that once it needs a person to open the room and it needs a person, once the room is closed, then the conversation just ends. So this, the Discord, it's like 
always on people can always go in there and chat if they want to and i'm, I'm seeing discussions happening asynchronously and yeah it's just it's just a really good tool i think for for online teaching i think the point that you made about text was really good well it's, it's just online communication right like so much of what we do happens through email or uh, text chat now and 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 Twitter and Facebook and things like that And so I think it's really tapping into these literacies that our students do need right like we are English teachers and when people say English teachers They think like oh students need to speak English, but actually like that's not the dominant mode of discourse, right? Like people it are really isn't reading yeah. and writing and and understanding texts and that's slowly making its way back into language teaching, like looking a lot more at text and genre and multiliteracies and things like that. But so I, I think that now is a good opportunity for us to help our students develop these really good reading and writing literacies using really important tools. I absolutely agree, Jonathan. And what, one of the, the biggest points that I'd, I'd like to make would be that this, this remote teaching for me um, and, and should be for other teachers as well, I think it, it kind of makes you reclassify or, or reconsider what community competency is. So for me now, I'm, I'm very much happy to get them looking at like LOL or AFK, BRB, like what are these words? They've never seen this stuff before. And, you yeah. know, this is very, very common parlance for people that are um, using the internet. So for me, rather than having these students in the classroom planning a party or, you know, discussing, you know, practicing the, the present perfect tense, it's having them just chat in discord and, and throw a gif in so we we just we just okay this is how you send gifs go crazy and they were just sending all, all sorts of different gifs and then we're looking at them and yeah it, it's, it's really interesting to have this this level of multi-modality in the classroom it, it's crazy well i think that's absolutely what you're doing james is like that your whole class is about understanding language use in internet cultures right like it's very mm -hmm. much about participation and enculturation and understanding and literacy work, right? You, you've sort of gone from the sort of communicative language teacher dominant model here in Japan to much more of a literacy model and like much more of a uh, participation model. And just on that point, so for me, I've gone from the English language teacher, like the communicative teacher to much more of the thinking about students' liberation, right? So I'm doing much more of like a project-based learning approach where students are doing projects. And so I think it's really interesting that both of us started with the sort of, you know, English speaking dominant model and we've sort of moved in different directions and we're using teaching mm -hmm. to accomplish those different goals of language, of, of teaching in general. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know if you mentioned it, but what, what is this class, this Discord class about? Yeah, it's just a general four skills English class. So they, I mean, the way that the, the syllabus is structured is typically they'd have a Japanese teacher to teach them reading and writing skills, a, a native kind of native speaking teacher um, to teach them speaking and listening skills. But I've pushed to get, I've pushed to, to have, to teach both classes. So instead of seeing eight classes and only focusing on speaking, at the moment I'm, I only have three classes where I do them twice a week. So... Um, and my, my class, I, I've structured it so that they, okay, so from my own observations of, of the students, I realized that their, their knowledge of, of Western culture um, was quite lacking. So we talk about, you know, cultural competency and communicative competency. And instead of them just practicing language structures, I wanted them to actually enter the, the culture of English and maybe learn about English through a community that they are already familiar with. Now, the way that I'm doing this is I get students to think about what they're interested in, and then we go on to Reddit. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and I say, look, you know, you've got this interest in this tiny kind of 
little niche genre of stuff, guess what? There's a subreddit for that. And there's English speakers talking about your, your hobby. For example, Gundam plastic models is one that I like to bring up quite a lot. Um, the idea of making plastic models um, is something that we do in the West, I guess. Um, typically, when I was a kid, it was, you know, Second World War planes and boats and, you know, military things like that. But there's a big kind of subculture of making these kind of mecha robots. And that's very popular in Japan. So a student was interested in mecha robots. He obviously knew a lot about it. He had expertise in this. So it's an interested driven um, project for him. And I told him, okay, well, look, there's this subreddit that they are, they are talking about your hobby. Why don't you join it? Find out what they know, compare it to your own knowledge um, and, and what, what you're doing in Japan. And maybe you can post something that would, would be interesting to them. So this is the, this is the whole idea of, of the class. It's that they, the students choose a community based on their interests. They analyze this, um, this subreddit or this community, looking at grammar, text, um, pictures, um, what's popular, compare it to their own culture. And then they participate by, by posting something in the subreddit. And, you know, this, this student, he, he posted a photo of one of his um, creations and it got, you know, a thousand upvotes and he was over the moon and it generated a discussion. So um, that's the general structure of what I'm doing for, for many, many, many different projects like basketball or Yu-Gi-Oh! or, you know, different kinds of anime. That's the general structure of my class. Based on your description earlier, it, does it seem like um, in your class, this Discord class, that you have asynchronous and synchronous components it's it's kind of like a, you have times when they are supposed to be there and you may be live streaming and then and then they can also asynchronously be uh, involved is that, is that kind of how it goes um so that's a good question the class only started a week ago we've only done two classes so far they are i had a class yesterday which was the third class of the semester where they actually made their group so they they this is the first tricky class that i've had so far um traditionally if we were in the classroom, everyone would be face-to-face. I say, right, stand up, walk around, find somebody that has a similar interest to you, make group. It's very organic. It's, it's very simple. But online, it was, it was a struggle because I said, okay, everyone. I was like, go, go into some, go in, I have 15 voice channels set up. Go into a random voice channel, talk to people. If you don't have an interest, flip out into another voice channel. Um, but yeah, it just didn't work like that. They, they went into random channels. I flicked through the channels and everyone was just silent. And I was like, okay, this is not going to work. So what we did instead, uh, again, with the affordances of uh, Discord, anybody can make a text channel with a title. So I said, okay, make a text channel with an interest that you have. So there was, um, there was a Fortnite channel, an Apex Legends channel. There was a music channel, guitar channel, blah, 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 blah. And you could just see these lights going up as, as students were chatting in the various channels, trying to find people to work with. Um, so instead of doing it via voice, we did it via text. And then once they'd made their groups, I said, okay, now jump into a voice channel with the people that you've grouped with and introduce yourself and, you know, do it that way. So that happened in the class. And then asynchronously after that, some, gr- some students hadn't quite formed groups yet. So there were still some uh, breadcrumbs, some, some discussion going on after class. But what, what I'm expecting to see from now is that now students have a channel set up for their group. For example, there's an Apex Legends uh, channel with just three people in it now. Um, I'm expecting them to at least say, oh, did you finish that homework for tomorrow? Or, you know, having that as a, as a custom place for them to chat. But I, I can't say that async chat has been happening so far because we've only done two classes. 
Wow. How are the students reacting? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question because I, I ask them every week. I say, you know, how are you today? And they use emojis as a reply. Like, you know, some of them mess around and put like a poo emoji or something or, you know, a tired emoji, a strong arm emoji, um, a party parrot emoji, whatever. Um, and I've just been asking them, you know, what classes are using Zoom? What classes are using other tools? I gave them a kind of loaded question last week. Um, I said, it's not true, but I said, some students are, are more interested in using Zoom for the class. What do you think? And the emojis <laughs> were, just, were just crazy. It was like angry face, like thumbs down. So I'm quite happy that I'm, I'm using this. And I think one of the reasons that, that they're, they're unhappy with Zoom is because a lot of teachers, especially the English teachers, are kind of forcing them to use their video and mic, whereas they've not even seen my face yet. I'm very happy to just do it via voice and text chat. I mean, with the first class we spent an hour just in text. So um, again, using the affordances of the tool and seeing what else is possible. And I think that the students are, are, are kind of happy that I'm not forcing them to, to, to uh, do this quite uncomfortable task of meeting strangers face to face for the first time. So yeah, just, just taking it slowly. I liked your comment about the grouping as well, because I also experienced that with my students. Like, I think it was interesting that you were trying to push them to do it through voice, but then you went to text. So like mine's yeah. completely in a Google Doc. And so I did the same thing as you, like week one, post your interests. Week two, refine your interests. Week three, like find someone who has the same interests as you. Like it's a pretty simple task. It's like, so you wrote about, you know, YouTube videos. Yeah. Find someone else who wrote about all, YouTube videos. They can videos. all see each other's interests as well. Yes, exactly. Right, it's right. in one Google Doc. Like it's a big table yeah, with all the idea, students. Yeah. But the same thing happened. Even though it's like completely text-based, completely async. Completely transparent. Students, completely transparent. Like I can search for YouTube video or, or whatever, like with my tech literacy. And I can, you know, seven hits, right? Okay, good. Make a group. But I, won't, I don't want to do that. Like part of the yeah, thing that yeah. I'm trying to get at is like, it's this idea of autonomy and, and liberation agency and transformation and trying to figure out what's going on is challenging, but it's like, well, maybe they don't have the tech literacy to scroll through a Google doc. Maybe they don't know that there are other students in the class. Maybe they're afraid to make a comment on another student's ideas. Maybe they don't want to be in the group with that person because they used to date them. Maybe like there's definitely a level of, oh, okay, I, I see as a teacher what my students are interested in. And I can see that there are places where I could group students up. We know the power of students working together and like collaborative learning is another topic and, and there are problems with group work. And, but these are, I'm like, I, I gave them examples of, of meaningful things that they can do during COVID, right? Like I have students... Right recording like cooking videos like hey you these are the the foods that are available and cheap and these are the foods that you can make at home and that are healthy and are kind of fun to make and are relaxing and they're sharing their videos like already on youtube of like doing cooking videos and mm. vegan stuff and you know like like i have a student who's already doing like uh, asmr videos in english <laughs> but it's like so in in one class it's like like that but then i have students who are dropping the class already because i'm asking them to, sh to comment on other people's ideas. And it's like, mm. there's that push and there's that sort of stepping out of your comfort zone. But I, I feel like I've scaffolded it so much that it should really, and it's the same thing, like you can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But I, I, I feel like right now is, is a chance sort of for people to get over their issues, right? Like mm. this, is a, this is a difficult time to be alive for a lot of students. And there's a, there's a lot of opportunities, I think, for them to 
I don't know, like sort of be pushed and helped to do something that's going to define themselves for like the rest of their life. And I sort of feel like it's my job to sort of help them do that. Like, I don't want to get them into groups and chat about their weekends, right? There's that there's there's definitely a sort of emotional importance to doing that mm-hmm. for some students, right? Like, like, get together and really talk. Like, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Right? I certainly don't need that. But maybe some students do. Right? Like, mm. I'm giving you an, I'm giving you a blank slate to explore what your interests are. And I, I swear to God, I'm going to help you do it. And if you can't be bothered to like post a comment on some other students comment on, on, on a Google document that, Oh, I like, I like YouTube videos too. I sort of feel like the whole educational structure has done them a disservice. If you can't as a university student, having, having taken eight years of English practice, if you can't do that, it's the issue that you described that they are uncomfortable kind of giving comments to each other or uh, even being critical of each other or or is it just interaction in general and is it specific to online uh, learning or is this happening in tradition anyway i would say that there's a couple of factors here for me um, uh, these classes a lot of them are first year classes they've never actually met each other they've been thrown together into my class um, maybe i haven't given them enough opportunity yet to to do that kind of ice breaking um who are you you know what what where are you from what are you interested in i don't know so i think it's, it's part partly it is because they are shy then then they've just been thrown together and the second one is probably yeah they are struggling with the technology they're like okay so what's a channel um, where can i post or what do i do so maybe there's a cognitive load issue there as well um so i think there's a couple of reasons for them oh there's a million reasons for it for sure but i i do think that we're trying to scaffold them to this right it's like i don't know there's like there's definitely an argument to be made that we could spend 15 weeks getting to know them and it wouldn't be bad right like in in this sort of i, I was posting this like about the game terakoya stuff like my, my seminar that I, I i have students for two years and I, I i give them like 10 hours of homework a week and we have three hour video chats it's like i spent three and a half hours getting to know my two students last week and it was gorgeous right it was like well but they also and they 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 completed 30 pages of a google doc of like you know sort of like a self-reflective battery of questions and prompts and really tough stuff. And it's like, we could absolutely take the first semester of a university curriculum and not this bullshit like ice breaking and where are you from and what's your favorite flavor of ice cream crap? But like, who are you? You know, like there is that sort of scaffolding that can go into that. Like, what, what, what was your best educational experience? What do you think a teacher is? What are, what are, what are good students? And like, why are you here? And, and, and you can either like, take the time and, and use technology to get at that, like, like give them a, give them a battery, like before class and um, take time, like really getting to know them. But in, of course, like in a hundred percent class, that's going to be very, very difficult. But there are, I I honestly believe like I'm sort of a techno optimist in, on on some, on some, some days, right. Where you can use technology to do that. Like you can, you can give them 10 hours of homework and you can have them go into each other's documents and say like, look, this is what we're doing. Like you're at a liberal, liberal, in a liberal arts program. I'm going to liberate you, right? That's not always English education in Japan. So we're sort of, as James said, like we're sort of, we're, we're running into the problems that have, that have been drilled into their heads for like eight years and hoping that we can sort of just jar them into doing these sorts of things pretty quickly. But at the same time, we, we're, James and I are both sort of, we're reaching out to students and saying, hey, you can post on this document or I've got like a Google Hangout, like a group chat for my entire class. You got a question, you can post it there and some students are. Or you can email me or you can Zoom me. You can do whatever you need to do. And I, like, I swear to God, I'm going to help you, right? If you're having trouble, all you've got to do is say help.
Yeah, so I guess if, you, if we pull that into the, the idea of remote teaching, then maybe the barrier to entry in getting in touch with your, with your teacher, especially, well, the way that me and Jonathan have made our courses is just super low nowadays. Now, um, it's, you know, just, just at me on Discord, just send me a message in the help, the, help, the, the help channel that I set up, you know. So Jonathan, how do you set up your class? Well, I've got two classes, two types of classes. Like it's sort of, a, I, re, I, teach a, I teach a class that's called PBL English, uh, Project-Based Learning English. And it's a new class offered by the university. And originally, and I know none of my students are going to listen to this, so I can, I can pull the curtain back a little bit. But I basically set up a, a fake NPO. Like I made a website and that was going to address the sustainable development goals. And they were, I was going to basically hire students to be interns in the class and they were going to try do something to help the world meet those SDGs. And like I set up a fake website and a fake Twitter and a, a fake, uh, what's her name? Sophie, Dr. Sophie Vanderberg. And I pulled some random Dutch person off the internet and put her face on the website. And like, and so I was going to do like this intense role play. It would only work face to face where I could mediate and I could show examples and I could sit next to students and I could put on a suit and all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, and so I basically went to, uh, basically like uh, an independent study model where in these Google Docs, it's like step by step, you know, who are you? What are you interested in? I gave them a couple reflective prompts, like what's a, what's a problem that you know about? Or what are you crazy passionate about? I mean, not this language, right? Or wh what's something that you've always wanted to try, but but you've been afraid to do, you know? Or what, what who do you think you're going to be in 10 years, you know? And like, I'm going to help you become that person, like literally like that. And then sort of scaffolding step by step, like, okay, now that you've brainstormed, choose one of those and dive into it a little bit and then comment on each other and then make groups and then, then find an example and analyze it like James does in his classes, right? Like find an example of a good ASMR video or find an example of like a good cooking channel, right? Or like, and, and then analyze it and take it apart and then tell me what you like about it and tell me how you're going to put this into practice for what the project that you're going to send out into the world. That's what I'm doing with one of them. And it's all Google Doc, right? But it's, there's a whole ecosystem like James talks about. Like there is the Google Doc and there are comments, but there's also like a shared Google Hangout that's all text chat with all the students, like either real or sock puppet Gmail accounts. And then there's also email, right? I have video chatted with one student who needed help and I've text chatted with several students. I was just text chatting with a student before the, the meeting today of somebody who was having trouble finding a group. Like she's a really outspoken student. She can see that students have the same interests as her um, but they're not responding to the, the comments that she's posting on their, 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 their assignments. And she's frustrated, right? Because she wants to get started. And so I went to the Google Doc and I, and I basically said, like, hey, like, there are people who are LFG. They're looking for group. Like, these are, these are people who are looking for group. I want you to, like, I want them to actually, you know, there's some, there's some reason why that person isn't responding. Maybe the notifications aren't on or whatever. But I'm trying to do a little bit to just kind of push them into those. So that's one model. And it's, that's, it's only going to be one Google Doc and they're going to post all their stuff and hopefully we, hopefully we don't break the Google Doc. And if we do, we'll just start another one, right? That's one. And what about your other classes? I, oh, okay. So like, the, that, so like, so the thing, the thing that I'm doing this semester is I'm using this as a chance to try that with a bunch of different classes. So I'm like, I'm doing this like PBL model with an English presentation class and also this PBL class and also like an academic English class. And students are responding to it pretty well um, in, in each of these different environments. So I'm, I'm sort of like, it's sort of a carbon copy in these different environments, but like the questions are just relevant for everybody. Like, who do you want to be? What do you want to do to reach that goal? 
you know, whether that's that's an academic English project, there are students who are writing like, you know, they're, they're writing research papers in one class, like for them, that's a, that's that's what they want to do. So that's what, that's what I'm helping them with. Other students are doing ASMR videos, which is rad, you know? Okay, so I also teach a seminar like that, that's that's centered around games, um, where it's the pedagogy of multiliteracies, like we play, we choose games based on students' goals. So this still starts with students' goals and we choose games, we play games, we discuss them, discuss them, we do some more analytical work, and then they do participatory projects based around that. So like, they'll play a game, and then they'll write a review on Amazon, or, or Board Game Geek, or they'll they'll play a game and then remix it, you know, and share it, or, and this kind of stuff. And I have them for two years, and they write their thesis, their, their graduation thesis, which is usually like, I, you know, like, I don't know, 50 page document or whatever, about what and how they learned in this seminar. So they're learning about education and games and language and society. Um, and so in that, I have a website, uh, a, a gorgeous Google Sites website that, you know, is just really aesthetically pleasing and, <laughs> sorry, James, James does a much better job of designing websites than I do, but it's like, it's a Google website with links to Google Documents and an agenda. And so the students have probably, you know, five, 10, 15 hours of work sort of filling out worksheets before we meet and I see what they do and I comment before we meet and we're chatting on those Google documents. And then we have a, a three hour meeting every two weeks. That's, that's how this, the class is set up. And then we're just using, we're just using Google Hangouts. We're just using the video. Well, I don't know what it's, what it's called now, like meet or whatever, who, who knows? And then, and then we talk like, but we're, we're on the documents. Like we're all shared. We're, we're all looking at the documents on our screen and we use our cursors to go around in the documents and they make presentations about what they've thought about. And I make comments and I like, like voice comments, but I also make text comments for the things that they're going to follow, follow up on. But it's a small class. It's like I have two students as third years. And in my fourth year class, I have 15 students. And that's just completely like on, on a sort of case by case, just in time basis. Like I, I Skyped with someone yesterday and I, I don't, I didn't Skype. I don't, I, I video text Skype chatted, like whatever it's called. I use Google Hangouts. Holy cow. I've had a lot of coffee this morning. Um, <laughs> So you both of you mentioned, you know, that using text versus voice, um, you know, like in my class, we uh, or I think about the same thing because we have, you know, we have uh, text forums and, you know, people can post questions and discussions. And we also use something called VoiceThread, which is like discussion forum, but voice based. So I can put a slide with a question on there and then ask everyone to respond to it. But I'm not teaching English, so I, I could see maybe uh, some students might be shy about uh, speaking or anything like that. But I was just curious about, because um, also you were trying it to literacies and, and communication. And uh, I was curious about your decision. Like in my class, I think students, you know, some will have preferences between text and voice, but it seems that they feel that the voice helps build the class community. They like to hear other people's voices. Again, I know being, this is not being a language class that makes a big difference. And I was curious about your thoughts about text versus voice. Personally, like I mentioned, um, we have been face-to-face -face in the classroom where they would have been talking to each other. Typically, my classroom, um, just, just to um, make this clear, I don't expect them to speak English to, the, to each other that much. Um, I'm teaching science and tech university students, so not, not to speak badly of them, but their, their proficiency in English is not high to begin with. So instead of asking them to you, you only use English in the classroom, their English output for me is, for example, analyzing the, the Reddit community, looking at posts, looking at memes, trying to figure out what the text is. 
Um, so they can speak their L1, they can speak their, their mother tongue to do these activities in English, if that makes sense, right? So for me, the text that they output, I do require that to be in English. Like if they're making a presentation or a poster or if they're participating in the L2 community online, their communication there is in English. Uh, also, when they give their presentation, a formal report at the end of, this, of the class or end of the semester, that is also done in the, the L2 in the English language. But day-to-day -day language, I have no problem being in the L1. Um, at the moment, it's interesting because online, I'm seeing where normally they would be speaking to each other in Japanese orally in the classroom. Because I've kind of set up the, the situation or the, the context that the Discord server text chat should probably be English. And I always reply in English. And a lot of students have kind of twigged that, hey, why don't we just use English for text? But then when we're speaking orally, we just use Japanese. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting one that the, the technology now has kind of promoted them to, to use English in this way, the L2, if that, if that makes sense. I find that I'm getting a lot better answers by shifting it to text. Like when I'm in a class doing group work, I'm constantly aware that I'm asking questions in English. Like if I'm sitting in a, if I'm, if I'm talking to a class of like 15, 20 students, or even like two students, like I'm constantly aware that I'm asking a question orally and they need to process that and they need time to express themselves orally. Like there's definitely more of a processing time all the time. And so because it's moving to text, we're all on a, on a live Google doc. Like I can go in any time and see what they're doing. Um, and I see students rewriting them, their, their answers, right? Like I see them, some of them write in Japanese first and then they translate it. Some of them write in English and then like tweak it. Like I'm getting deeper ideas and more ideas mm. because I've gone to text, right? It's not like this quick, oh, I've got to answer because the teacher just asked me a question. I don't really, I don't want to look dumb. And so I've got to answer something like, it's very slow and in, for some students really good, like really deliberate and really much deeper, interesting, more ideas like mm. uh, in, in those responses to questions that I'm asking in a text document than I would ever get like in a face-to-face -face class. I really like this medium. Yeah, because they have more time to respond, I guess, right? Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's asynchronous. Like I'm available during class basically as office hours where they want to chat or be on a document, but they're working like through the entire week on these different assignments, right? Like I just say, right. ah, finish it like the day before class, you know, so we have time to, so I have time to prep. But so that some of the students do it right away and some students are doing it at the last minute and some students are revising. So it's very flexible, I think. And it gives them time mm. to think about the questions that I'm asking and the questions are important. So I want them to take time. The last question, I was curious about whether you, either of you or both of you um, are familiar with connected learning. Yes, have heard of it? Yeah, yes, for yes, sure. Yes, 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 yes. James was accepted to the Connected Learning Summit. James was accepted. Yes, I, oh, okay. Was. Well, because it sounds like your teaching checks a lot of boxes of the design principles that come. Um, Absolutely, it was. It was learning. very, uh, yeah, instrumental. Right. So, was that a big part of how you designed this course or your courses in general? Yeah, it, it really was. Um, Multi literacies and uh, the connected learning, the idea of interest-driven community participation. Yeah. Um, you know, authenticity is a bit of a buzzword. So instead of having them, which is why I said again about I'm not too concerned about them speaking Japanese to each other, like their mother tongue, because I know that the work they're doing online is all using English. So that's a good like way to demarcate it. Like, okay, of course you're going to use the L1 between each other. You're native Japanese speakers, you know. Why would I force, I mean, again, this is just my own kind of agenda, I guess, but why would I force you to use a language that you're not comfortable with at all 
and say, you know, that's the only kind of language that will be accepted in this class. No, let's use the mother tongue to explore um, L2 use online in these communities. I mean, that, that's the way that um, I'm, I'm doing this class. Well, I think we should wrap it up. I know it's morning for both of you guys and you have things to do. But thank you for that conversation and for spending time talking and sharing your ideas and your experiences in this time. I would love to have you back and share your experiences at the end of the semester if you have time. But for now, thank you for your time. It was so interesting to hear about the pedagogical approaches and choices you made in your classes. Happy to help. Later. Bye. Have a good have morning. Bye-bye.